Lord God, we pause in this evening to practice gratitude. This past week, we were invited to celebrate those who have invested and mentored us. And we give thanks for those people now. We give thanks for our friends, those who love us and care for us, those who encourage us. We recognize that they are gifts from you. We thank you for the gift of your presence, that you do not wait for us to come and find you, but you come and find us. We thank you, Lord, for the ways in which you use the saints that have gone before us to teach us, to guide us, to encourage us, to remind us of what faithfulness looks like. We give you thanks. And we give you thanks for our brother and friend, Pastor Nicholas Lee. We thank you for the way in which his friendship and the friendship of the Christ Experience Church has shaped us as a community over the last two years. We thank you for him. And we ask that as he comes to preach your word among us, that our hearts would spring up with joy and with anticipation of your good work among us. We pray for our brother that you will clarify his thoughts and anoint his words, and that he will too receive the good news that he preaches among us. And we ask this together in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are excited to have with us uh, a pastor friend, but really a friend, um, and so would you welcome our friend and all the pastor, Nick Lee, as he preaches. <clears throat> My name is uh, Pastor Christopher Pollock. I'm <laughs> one of the pastors here at 8th Street, and I'm here because Holly lets me. Um, <laughs> I've always wanted to say that, so you're just going to have to live with me while I do it, okay? <laughs> I've been working on that line all week. I won't tell you some of the earlier ones I came up with, but that was safe. Um, <laughs> uh, this morning, or this evening, I'm used to preaching in the morning, so hang with me. I might say that a couple of times. Um, we're going to be reading from Hebrews 11, and I picked the New Living Translation um, for all of us. And here at the 8th Street Church, we stand together as we read God's Word, so will you stand with us? Hear these words. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation by faith. We understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken, he was known as a person who pleased God, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to know him or to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. It was by faith 
But Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as an inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. And even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. He was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there is no way to count them. Pay attention to verse 13. All these people died, still believing that God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You can be seated. So a few weeks ago, uh, Pastor Chris and I were sitting in his office like we often do, um, and he said to me, would you consider preaching at 8th Street tonight? And I uh, said yes, um, obviously because I'm here. Uh, (laughs) And the truth is, he knows that he could ask me at any time. Um, He could probably have asked me this morning before I went to church to preach here tonight, and I would have done it. Um, and I know that same invitation has been extended to me by uh, Pastor Mikhail and Chris. Um, and it's really great to be with you tonight. It's good to be with my other family on Sunday night. Although I will say that preaching in the morning and at night makes for a really, really, really long day. <laughs> um, and so if I fall asleep while I'm up here, <clears throat> don't wake me. <laughs> Just leave me alone. So Chris has been preaching about the saints. We talked about this a little bit. And their witness among us and the witnesses that have left us. I mean, the witness they actually left for us, the things they've left behind for us. And we talked about a ton of different saints, right? So we talked about Bonhoeffer. We talked about um, just this plethora of people. Uh, Eugene Peterson, who I love, who just passed away. All these different saints. And Chris asked me to preach on some saints with a little bit more diversity. Okay, some of y'all didn't catch that. So Chris said that he was using a lot of European influences, and he'd like me to think of something less white, is what he said. I'm, I'm good at that. So I agreed, and so we started talking about who Uh, we could preach about. And so the normal ones came up. Martin Luther King Jr. came up. And I was like, I think everybody knows who he is. That's great. Okay, we have a holiday. I think he's good. Chris said to me, he said, Nick, you know, you might think about preaching about somebody that can't be Googled. From what I understand, he did that last week. He preached about one of his mentors that could not be Googled. And so I said, oh, I like that idea. Somebody that nobody knows, so they can't fact check me. Um, I don't have to do that much research. Here we go. Um, so we started talking about that, and we, we got into it, and he said, you know, Nick, you should probably find somebody 
um, who no, none of us really know that well, and talk about them. Like, talk about someone that has impacted your life really heavily, somebody who doesn't get national attention as a saint, someone who won't be officially recognized by a denomination or by some group of people that'll come up, but somebody who really impacted you, somebody whose name we won't find in a magazine, um, and, and find one of those good saints. And so I was like, man, I don't know any real saints. You know what I mean? Like, when you think of a saint, you think of Mother Teresa, who seemed to have never done a bad thing in her whole entire life, right? Um, I don't know any of those people. I live in the real world. So, like, all of my saints have some baggage. And then I was reading Practicing Resurrection by Eugene Peterson, and he says something about the Apostle Paul. He says that in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul calls the collective of us who come together, he calls you saints, right? And the problem with that is when somebody goes, well, aren't you a saint? Most of us go, no, no, girl, you don't know me that well. Uh, (laughs) This is not a saint. And Eugene says, but in fact, when Paul is talking to us, He is talking to saints because it is not what we've done, but it's what Christ is doing through us that qualifies us to be saints. So good news, you're sitting next to a saint. Okay? Amen? Some of, I see some wives saying, no, sir. No, I'm not. This is a perfect time to bring up what Kendall said. If if men in the room, if you didn't catch this, Kendall brought up a very good uh, fruit of the spirit that some of you don't know. It's called... Roses. So some of you, <laughs> some of you who got the, the, the head shake ought to go get some roses tonight. Don't look at me. <laughs> I'm not looking at my wife. It's fine. <laughs> See, so Paul calls us saints. It's because of what God is doing through us. And so today I decided that I would pick the most influential saint I have ever known in my entire life. It's my dad. My father, uh, the Reverend Patrick Michael Lee, who I think there's some pictures of, yeah. Um, Actually, yesterday was the ninth anniversary of his passing. So he passed away nine years ago yesterday. Um, My dad is probably the biggest influence on me in my entire life outside of Jesus. And the reason I know Jesus is because... Of him, I got a couple of pictures, Doug. So if you'll go to the next one, this is my this is my not so saint father and my mother, who would also have shaken her head at this. Uh, she is still with us, um, and so she's in Florida. I don't listen. That picture, I'm one of those kids. You don't need to know which one. Um, <clears throat> okay, it was an awkward couple of years for a minute. All right, I couldn't grow facial hair. None of that stuff. Um, Those are my brothers, and my mom looks mad. I don't know what I did. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So this is actually my dad and my mom together at their house when this boy who is sitting on the front row was just born. Um, My dad got to meet my first two kids, um, Caden and Riley, before he passed away. He died six months after Riley was born, and uh, he got to be with them for, for a little while. Um, this dude on the front was his best friend. He used to call me and go, hey. I'm like, hey, Dad. he go, where's my grandson? Nice. <laughs> Say, jerk. Uh, <clears throat> and this is me and my father, somewhat in the same pose. Um, he, he dressed pretty well, and I was super cute. You can all be jealous. <clears throat> 
My dad was a man of faith. Um, he moved his family in 1989 to Tulsa from Kansas City so that he could go to Bible school, and he preached, and I mean he preached. I'm going to keep this thing down to 30 minutes. However, my father had no such luck. <clears throat> he couldn't do it. Um, as a kid, I remember listening to his sermons eight times before he preached them on Sunday mornings. That's why my kids never hear my sermons before I get up. I remember being like shackled almost to a couch and he would preach stuff. I had no idea. I was like, yeah, dad, I'm three. Great. This is awesome. Can I have a snack? Um, My father um, spent a lot of time reading scripture. I actually have his Bible. I like to call this the bathroom Bible. Now, Now, go with me for a second. My father would read scripture all the time, okay? Um, I, was, I was driving in the car coming here, thinking about this, how much he loves scripture, and I remember the giddy look he would get on his face when a certain group of people would come to the door and knock and be like, can we tell you something? He was like, oh, I wish you would. <laughs> this isn't really a part of the sermon, but I want you to know, folks, every door that opened is not a door you should go into, Okay. <laughs> He would invite them into our front living room, our formal living room. He would say, take a seat. Let's talk. And for two hours, I could watch those sweet people get battered and beaten just in conversation. And he didn't blink an eye, and they didn't remember why they showed up. (laughs) With this very Bible... I call it the bathroom Bible because as I got older, I started realizing that it always sat on the back lid of the toilet because he had this routine. He would get up in the morning, he would get ready for the day, he would go downstairs, he would go in his bathroom, and he would read and talk to Jesus for a while. And so, like, he always had this Bible. This Bible actually was in his casket when uh, when they were, you know, wheeling him out for the last time, and I thought they buried him with it. And actually, my mom stole it before they shut the lid. But she didn't tell me for like a year. And so one day, we were cleaning out the house, and she goes, I think you need to have this. And I was like, are you a grave robber? (laughs) Did he get a weekend pass and nobody told me? Like, come on, y'all. My dad did a lot of different things to us, as, I mean, for us as kids. Um, I need to go to therapy about that. Um, <clears throat> my wife will tell you the first time she ever came to our house, um, we were getting ready to go to dinner or do dinner together, and I was used to it. Every time that he would get ready for dinner, he would say, all right, boys, you ready? And we would say, yes, sir, and we would all quote a scripture before we could eat. And as you can tell, I didn't miss a single meal, so I know scripture <laughs> real well. Um, My wife, on the other hand, was not prepared for it. And so as we had all said our scriptures, he looked at her and was like, you got one? And she was like, no. (laughs) And I think if I remember like you said, in the beginning, and that was it. My father was an, an extremely 
he was incredible. So he could speak. I almost brought the CD so you could hear just a little bit of it. I, I know I've stolen one of his sermons two or three times. He used to preach a sermon in 1991 when he was in school. He preached a sermon on, do you know him? So he, he takes that passage of scripture where Jesus looks at his disciples and says, who do they say that I am? And they ramble on about who people say. And then he looks at Peter, and my father was really intent on this point. And Jesus said, who do you say that I am? And Peter resounded back, you are the Messiah. He goes into this, and my dad loved that thing. And for some reason, as I remember it, he like went into a British accent because that's how movies portray it. So I don't know what happened, but <clears throat> my dad wasn't British. It just has that happen. My dad preached the word to us from a very young age. He did it over and over again so that we would get the scriptures in us because he believed that if you had the scriptures inside of you, they would birth something out of you when the time came. So he made sure that we knew the word. He made sure that we understood that prayer was like breathing. If you weren't praying, you were dying. He raised us three boys to understand that it was Christ who was to be the head of your house It was Christ who was to be the head of your life, and if that wasn't the case, you were in trouble. My father, this great orator, this person who could speak for hours and you wouldn't get tired of it, gave up the ministry when we moved to Tulsa shortly after he graduated to work for a company. He worked there for 20 years. Me and my brother actually accepted that award a couple of months after he passed away so that me and my brothers could attend a private Christian school. He wanted to make sure that as we were getting math and science and history, we were getting worship twice a week. He wanted to make sure that as we were getting all the other things that we needed to graduate, we were also getting the word as much as we possibly could. And so this pastor of pastors, and I mean it, gave up a career so that we, his boys, would have it deep inside of us. And that was tough for me when I first started ministry. I got my first ministry job a month and 17 days to the day that my father passed away. So as I got ready to preach this sermon, I was a little angry. Because for all those sacrifices, for all those faithful moves, For all the things that he did, for all the faithful living in front of us, and even when we couldn't see it, for all the times he was up at 2 o'clock in the morning praying over us, his sons and his wife, and all of the people that were in his life, for all the times that he was faithfully serving Jesus Christ, my father, did he never saw me preach a single sermon. He heard me lead worship, he watched me play jazz, he watched me take a couple of quarterbacks out, but he never got to see me preach. I was really angry when I started this sermon. I have four kids. Most of you know that. They're here somewhere. Um, Their mom keeps up with them, I'm sure. She knows. Um, He got to see my first two children born um, and and was there um, for just a little while. My my middle brother has a daughter that he got to see as well. But since my father's passed, um, there have been four grandchildren born and one on the way. And no, it's not mine. Um, so there's five grandchildren that never got to see him or be in his presence. And that's tough every time it happens. I sat and was like, God, we're doing all this work, doing all this stuff, and there's a, there's a chance that we won't get to see any of it. 
what in the world are you doing? Let me be real honest with you. So I, 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 I get to be honest because tomorrow, if you have any calls or critiques, you get to call Mikhail or leave a message for Chris. So I'm just going to tell you the truth. There are some moments that I just don't understand what God's doing. My father died nine years ago at 53 years of age. <clears throat> he was an eight-miler a day. All the stuff you should do, right? And still, in this world of frailty and brokenness, he still passed on into the next life, not seeing the fulfillment of all the things he had prayed for, not seeing his sons grow up to be good fathers, good husbands, to be pastors, to be members of society in such a way that he had trained us to be, and I was not happy about it. And I stumbled across Hebrews again. Verse 13 is the verse that really caught me. It says, if you remember, all of these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And as I read that scripture in the context of my father, all of a sudden the light came on and I said, we saw it. You see, in a world that is quick to make decisions based on momentary ideas, that is quick to do things that gives us instant gratification, in a world where we want it faster, more efficient, at the drop of a hat, if your internet takes more than two seconds to kick in, we're calling AT&T going, hey guys, hey, Something's wrong. Some of us have forgotten dial-up. I mean, it used to take a century to do anything. But all of a sudden, in this driven world where we are pushing and pushing to see what we want right now, this scripture seems asinine. To think that a person could work their entire life to be faithful to Jesus Christ to implant in their children and their world these seeds that they're hoping to see watered and come and flower, to be able to go to sleep on this side and wake up in heaven on the other side and be good sounds ridiculous. And yet, that's why we remind you of the saints. That is why we keep reminding you of the witness of folks who have gone before us, because they all died and didn't get to see the fullness of what they had been promised. And yet, they went to sleep still believing. That's important. So I started thinking. It's this idea of short-term vision versus the idea and the ability to see long-term. Scripture says that they saw it from afar. And at first, I thought that what he was saying in Scripture was, it's this idea of like Moses, who got a little peak around the the mountain. If you read at the end of Moses' life, he got this peak around the mountain to just see with his eyes the land that God had spread out for his people? No, and then I read it again, and that's not what he's saying. He's saying that they saw from afar. They had the vision that was a long-term vision to be able to see from afar what God was doing. It is the seeds that Patrick Lee planted that made it possible for you to be here with me today. Because had Patrick not been obedient to what God had told him to do, I can promise you I would not be standing here. And that's reality, okay? So nine years gone, 
And nine years later, his son has not only been a youth pastor and an associate, but now stands in front of this congregation of believers preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ because of seeds he planted before any of you knew his name. Chris talked last week about a man who had been implanting into his life, and he could tell you stories and stories. All of us sitting here, pastors and and lay people alike, can tell you there is a reason I'm here, and it's because somebody had some long-term vision and was willing to implant in us these seeds. They were willing to be faithful in front of us. They were willing to be faithful when we couldn't see it. You know what's really interesting about short-term understanding of things? It allows you to do some really stupid stuff. People who think only for the short term find themselves in situations that they can't really get themselves out. And yet those short-term thinkers still have an impact on the long-term life of the people that they've impacted. I think what the scripture is trying to get us to understand, what I take away from the life of the saints that we'll be talking about, is not the momentary things they did. Yes, they had some fun. Yes, they, there were some exciting moments. And yes, there were some great things that happened. But I think that what I take away from all of these folks who we call saints, those people who have gone before us, is this. That what you're doing today ought to have something that reverberates through eternity. One day, my daughter, Riley, will be reading my Bible somewhere. And I hope it's to get ready to stand up behind the podium and preach the word. I hope that my son, Caden, who sits here and watches my every move, will watch the good ones first. (laughs) And second, that those moves will push him to be the man that God called him to be way long after I'm not here. And I pray that we will look at the saints who have gone before us, and I hope that today it will encourage you to start taking the long view. How can I be faithful now so that in the future, what God had planned will come to pass. You know, faith, as it talks about in Hebrews, is, is interesting. I was reading scripture the other day, and, and, and I was reading in the message. It says, you know, you don't have to have faith to see something that's in front of you. You just don't. That doesn't take faith. Like, you were sitting there. And if not, we have a problem. <laughs> right? The 8th Street dream you're sitting in. Right? So I'm going to take a little liberty for just a second. Kristen asked me to say this, but this is what I feel I'm supposed to say to you, okay? So don't call Chris on this one. Call Mikhail. Um, Totally kidding. It's really easy now to go look at the 8th Street dream. Ooh, there are walls and windows and there are lights. But that's not the end. That's not what God brought you here to do. Great, you got a place. You got some windows and you got some fixtures. That's awesome. Okay? Don't take this as me belittling that. But that's not the end. So the decisions you're making now, the offerings you're giving now, the moves you're making now, the space you're making is so that one day people from every tribe, every nationality, people from every walk of life, will sit in these chairs in this room. The decisions you have made to come together and to tell the truth are not for the immediate gratification because sometimes telling the truth in these moments does not feel good right after you've done it. 
But the reason why you come together to tell the truth every time is so that you make the space so that somebody can walk in those doors one day and tell their truth and be met with redemption and reconciliation and life. The reason why you come together every week and you love each other the way that you do is not for the momentary things that you get, although it's great to be in this group of people together. The reason why you do it is because God's plan far outlives any one of you who sit in this room. 8th Street will be here long after you're gone. The thing that 8th Street was called to do will be here long after you're gone, but you get to live into it, and you get to be the people that they say in like Scripture that they saw it from a far off, and they lived into it. What I hope today you'll walk away with is a newfound way and a new, a new idea about how you ought to live into seeing the long view of life. That the moments that you have now aren't just about right now. They're about living into the future, seeing what God is going to do well after we're all gone. That's why we remind you of the saints. It is their witness that keeps us moving forward. It is those folks who we stand on their shoulders. It is those messages that we've heard in our lives. We keep, it keeps coming up inside of us, and it keeps bearing fruit. You get to be people who bear fruit long after you're gone, and that is good news. Amen? Let's pray. God, this, this evening, we thank you, especially for those who have gone before us, who have laid the groundwork for us, who have spoken into us. And we know that you have promised us many things, and we won't get to see every single one of those things come to fruition, but God, we know that you are faithful. And so we choose in this moment to be faithful to you. God, would you allow us to see the long view of things? Would you allow us to see what your ultimate plan is so that we can live in these moments now pursuing what you have called us to do and sowing into the future? God, I even pray today for 8th Street, this church that has been created because of you. This is a new thing, a new vision, a new way to live, a new community to live into. And so, God, I pray that we, the people who call 8th Street home, would be able now to see the long view and to live into what it means to see it from afar, but to still believe and to live faithfully. So God, would you come, would you speak clearly to us, even in this moment, God, to be your people faithfully, to serve you in this community, to serve each other, to serve our children and the people who come into this place, God. Be with us tonight, be with us as we go forward in doing what you've called us to do. In Christ's name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Thank you. We come to the table together every week in worship. Not just because it is something to do, but because this is really the way of Jesus that is offered to us. Later in the, in the, in the book that he, the author of Hebrews is writing, he says that we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, 
who has become what all those who have died not yet seeing what they had hoped to see. Jesus is the embodiment. And he also invites us into his way of faith, of faithfulness, and of self-sacrificing love. And so in just a moment, we invite you to come um, down one of these aisles, exit to your right, and come forward and then come back on the outside. And we ask you to come with your hands cupped so that you can receive what is given to you. You'll take the bread and dip it into the cup and then receive. We invite you to... um, We invite you to this table knowing that it's not a Nazarene table. Uh, It's not an 8th Street table. This is Jesus' table. And so all who want to receive what it is that Jesus gives are welcome here. So our bread is gluten-free and the cup is non-alcoholic because we don't want any barriers or boundaries On the night that Jesus was betrayed by the very ones that he came to save, he passed the bread to them, he broke it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my body that was broken for you. And then he passed the cup, saying that this is my blood that is shed for you. And as you receive this ancient and filling meal, will you receive all that it is Jesus has to offer you this evening. Friends, when you are ready, please come.